We are Encountering Silence. Encountering Silence is made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. Please visit patreon.com slash encountering silence to learn more about how you can be part of the circle and share in our efforts to bring silence into our all too noisy world. Carrie Newcomer is a performer, recording artist, and educator described as prairie mystic by the Boston Globe and one who asks all the right questions by Rolling Stone. In the fall of 2009 and 2011, Newcomer was a cultural ambassador to India, invited by the American Embassy of India, resulting in her interfaith collaborative benefit album, Everything is Everywhere. In 2012 and 2013, Carrie traveled to Kenya and the Middle East, performing in schools, spiritual communities, and AIDS hospitals. Carrie has 17 nationally released albums, including The Point of Arrival, The Beautiful Not Yet, A Permeable Life, and Everything is Everywhere. Carrie has also produced a theatrical production titled Betty's Diner, a musical which has been performed at a sold-out run at Purdue University in 2015. Carrie has earned a regional Emmy for the PBS special An Evening with Carrie Newcomer, and she's also released two companion books of poetry and essays, A Permeable Life, Poems and Essays, and The Beautiful Not Yet, Poems, Essays, and Lyrics. Most recently, Carrie's appeared on PBS's Religion and Ethics and Krista Tippett's On Being. Her work with Parker Palmer includes live performances, and they've most recently started a collaboration titled The Growing Edge, a website, podcast, and retreat. Carrie lives in the woods of southern Indiana with her husband and two dogs. And I drove up here this morning, and I can tell you it is absolutely stunning and a very, very sacred place to be. And Carrie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's great to be with you. Thank you. A lot of times when we start talking with someone, we kind of just ask what your introduction to silence was, or if there's a particular moment from your childhood where you recognize silence as something you wanted to more further engage with in your life. Well, I think, you know, I I think I've always been a seeker. You know, I think even as a little kid, I was a little kid that would ask the questions you weren't supposed to ask in (laughs) Sunday school. You know, and, and I've always, I don't know, I've always had this sense of something larger than myself, even as a little kid. Um, I did not grow up. Now I practice with unprogrammed Quakers, which has a a long tradition of silence and contemplative Mm. um, reflection. Uh, But I kind of grew up. My mother was raised Catholic. My father, uh, his mom was from an Amish background. He was raised Methodist. Um, That makes me the only probably you know, Italian, like, Amish, Catholic, <laughs> Quaker. On the planet, yeah. I think that it's just me. It's just me. Um, but, uh, so I didn't start out in a contemplative practice, but I discovered um, the unprogrammed Quakers when I was doing a, a service um, time, kind of like Peace Corps mm. in Costa Rica. And there's a Quaker community in the rainforest. 
oh, wow. that I visited and went to my first silent meeting and it felt like home. Mm. So I've been kind of following that, that thread um, ever since then, that going to the silence is a place where um, uh, I recharge. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm taking time to listen. Mm. Um, it's become a, a big part of my spiritual practice and daily practice. Yeah. Now, I'm curious. I mean, it sounds like that, that contemplative path and that silence path became a more formal practice once you discovered um, Quakers and everything. But I wonder, do you feel like looking back, you can see it woven into your life as it, perhaps informal? Yes, absolutely. I, you know, I, I grew up in, in a city, on a city block, but you know, I'd ride my bike out into, the, out into the country and there were some parks and things that I would go to and just wanting a, a space where um, I could just be and just be quiet. Um, the world we live in is a very, is a very busy and it's often very noisy place. So yeah, that thread. And you know, I've been doing music. I'm, I'm a musician. I started doing music as a pretty young, young girl. Um, and you know, to do music, you have to be comfortable with silence. Mm. You know, you know, a song without the pauses is just cacophony. <laughs> you have to be able to yeah. breathe and take a breath and, you know, juxtaposition, mm-hmm. you know, the sound and the moments of pause. Mm-hmm. So I think I've always been attracted to music and that's one of the pieces of it. Yeah. So that being said, how is silence a part of your creative process now in terms of, let's say, songwriting? Well, you know, it's interesting because, you know, people say that you make your life in sound mm. and you have a, a really uh, important practice of silence. That, you know, how does that make sense? But, you know, I really think that some of my best language has emerged and has come out of the silence, mm. as, of taking time. Um, you know, I, a lot of my songs, if, if you lined up, if you lined up 11 songwriters and you ask them their process, you give, they give you 14 different ways that they write songs. Um, but my process generally starts with language. It starts with a poem or a essay or certain kinds of journaling writing. Um, and then, uh, and then when I sit down to create the music, I have all this language and, and ideas that have already been circulating and, and processing for me. But before the poem, before the, mm. the essay, there's dedicated time in meditation. Um, I li- do live out here in the woods, and I, I have a practice of walking and just being in the natural world. Um, every day that I'm home, I'm not on the road. So, um, you know, the poems often come out of mm. these times of reflection and silence and the songs come out of what I've written about these reflections. So, um, in terms of process, you know, it's all connected. But the, but the silence, the taking time, taking time to listen, to, to listen to the natural world, to be present with that, to be in meditation, to be present with my own heart, and with 
a wider spirit with something timeless. And all of that works together to create the music. And it's evident to me that, I mean, all of your work, you know, coming from that space also points to this ultimate unity um, of, you know, humans um, and the natural world. And I think that, I mean, that's so, so obvious in your work. And I wonder if you've felt a deepening of connectivity with humanity as you've, you know, written songs and as you've performed and as you've um, just, you know, pursued that practice. Have you, have you come away with a, a, a more closeness? I always like to talk about kind of the paradox of, you know, like monks, for instance, going away from the world to love it more. And mm-hmm. I think that in creative work, often we face that where we're seen, you know, you're seen as going away to write or being in silence to, to write or to explore, but ultimately it creates a, a deeper, a deeper unity, a deeper oneness, um, in my experience, but yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that's a really wonderful way of putting it and a great question. Um, you know, the, it is, it, it really is, all it all overlaps for me you know i i i do love people i really do love people um people will surprise you they'll inspire you they'll they're they're bewildering they're disappointing they're they're ah they're everything you know they're just i just i they grow they learn they fall down they rise you know, you know, human beings are pretty amazing, and and I do love humans. And you know, going out into the world, I I get to encounter a lot of different kinds of human beings out there on the planet. I have I have a real tenderness for them, mm-hmm. but at the same time, uh, you know, I, I'm an introvert by nature, which means not that I. I don't enjoy being with people. That's just not where I recharge. Mm-hmm. It's not where mm-hmm. I get my energy. Right. So I've had to be really mindful about when I come home and when I'm off tour to take, you know, big, you know, to, to drink deep mm. of solitude, to, to drink deep of the silence because it's all part of the balancing process. Mm-hmm. But, you know, ultimately, you know, the thread, the thread that runs through... Um, uh, in meditation, in prayer, in my spiritual practice, in my relationship with this little bit of woods in southern Indiana that has become an old friend, you know, those those threads definitely, you know, fan out and reach out and and you know continue to touch everyone that I'm I'm around, mm-hmm. and they touch me with, you know, the spirit they're bringing to the world. I hope that makes sense. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I'm reminded of one of your lyrics from um, Betty's Diner where you say um, eggs and toast like bread and wine and that vision of unity um, you know and, and from a Christian perspective kind of seeing every meal every moment of togetherness um, as a Eucharistic experience um, you know, when I came here and, and you prepared tea for me, um, 
just that that deep communication that offers a sense of communion. Um, but I was really particularly struck by by that lyric, um, eggs and toast like bread and wine. Thanks. I, you know, it's, you know, in the West, that was something that, that happened when I was in India. I was being interviewed by someone in India. And in, in India, they don't make this distinction between the sacred and the secular. I mean, mm. everything is overlapping. And they asked me what I wrote about, this interviewer. And I said, well, I, wrote, I write a lot about finding something really sacred in an ordinary day. And, he, and, and in the West, we have to think about that. And his response was, no. Really? <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, the thought that, that someone would separate, you know, the the daily from what is sacred, mm-hmm. what is ordinary, from what is extraordinary. You know, I, I just don't see that that line. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't really experience a line like that. Um, it's all overlapping, um, and I write a lot about that. Um, and I think there's something really lovely and and and. When you when you encounter it, you know when you say, "Oh, that eggs and toast can be like communion," you know that uh, a, a true communion. You know that um, you know time that we spend together. Uh, I, I remember I was out in the woods. It was springtime, and I was thinking about a, a book, uh, Gilead, mm. by Marilyn Robinson. Mm-hmm. And there's just such a beautiful book. And there's a place in the book where he's talking about how this. Uh, elderly pastor loves to baptize the babies, mm. and he said he puts water on their on their brow not because he's imbuing them with anything holy or sacred. He's doing this to acknowledge what is so sacred and already there. And I thought, ah, oh, you know, that's a blessing. And I started walking around in the woods, and I started blessing stuff. You mm. know, like putting my hand on the tree, mm. putting my hand. On the you know the wild flocks and the and the new trillium and putting my hand on my dog and the rocks and the creek water and 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 it was like this moment of just you know true just acknowledging the sacredness of everything around me and then I needed to go into town and I went I went to the post office and there's this line of women and men and here's the Harried mom with the baby on the hip, and there's, you know, the 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 student who's from another country trying to figure out the system, and there's mm-hmm. the elderly couple in the sensible shoes, you know, and it's like, and I just started in my mind blessing each one of them too, mm. you know, you know, I'm in my mind I'm laying my hand on each one, saying, ah yes, you know, the sacredness of each one of you, mm. and I went through my entire day blessing everything I encountered. And what I what I discovered is that you never see the world or anyone or anything the same once you've blessed it. Mm. Once you've looked at it that way, um, it's hard to look at it as anything else anymore. Mm-hmm. It was a good it was a good exercise for myself. Yeah, know? I felt like I ah okay, but that's that's how I write too. That mm. there is this thread. I live in southern Indiana, you know. Something really good happened to my writing. 
when I gave myself permission to sound like a Hoosier. <laughs> and, you know, I, I, I mean, I say that. And what I mean by that is that I gave myself permission to sound like the person I am mm. who lives here in southern Indiana. You know, that I... I'm so Midwestern. I, I am the lady that brings a casserole when someone's sick, you know, and I'm just really comfortable with that, you know, and I, you know, that I, to be able to speak with my truest voice, mm. my most authentic voice, and that I was never going to sound like someone from the island of Manhattan, and that's just fine because there's plenty of people to cover that voice. They don't really need me to cover that voice. There's lots of folks there. Um... I, I can rest assured it will be covered um, that my truest voice, my most powerful voice, would, would always be my most authentic voice, mm. my most connected voice. And, you know, something happened to my writing, you know. I gave myself that permission um, to write about the most ordinary daily things um, and how and how truly astounding and extraordinary they are. I have a song called Holy is the Day is Spent, and it just was walking through my day. Holy is the dish and drain, the soap and sink and the cup and plate, and the warm wool socks and the cold white tile, shower heads and good dry towels, and frying eggs sound like songs with bits of salt measured in my palm. Mm. It's all apart of a sacrament, as holy as a day is spent. And I just kind of went on through my day with all these little things that I was encountering. And, and like that day that I was blessing everything, touching it all with a certain kind of spirit, mm-hmm. it changes it, it changes the world. Yeah. Do you think that, do you think in you know this world today of discourse and chaos and bombardment um, by noise and things and marketing, do you think it's possible to have, to see that thread, to see that vision of unity without meeting ourselves and each other in the silence and the solitude, without coming from there to know who we are in recognition of each other? You know, I think it, it, it you know, that, that elusive idea of balance, mm. you know, that, mm-hmm. you know, that we are in contact and in faithful contact with our spirit and with like the timeless spirit around us and within us, our own inner teacher. We have an inner teacher, and that teacher can be trusted. Mm. You know, our heart's imperative. You know, it sometimes it, it nudges us. Sometimes. You know, it starts elbowing pretty hard, but we do have an inner teacher, and it can be trusted. So taking time to spend time to to listen, and at this and that and then on the other side of the coin is like to get out into the world to to spend that morning blessing all the things in the natural world around me, and then go to the post office, yeah, <laughs> and take that spirit there. And what yeah. does that mean? And and you know, I think that's important too. I, um, you know, we're living in a time when we're getting information from every direction. I mean, every screen is giving us more information, and most mm-hmm. of it because a lot of it is commercial in nature. You know, we're getting what's scary, 
you know, what's salacious, what's divisive, what's crisis. You know, we're getting this this overwhelming amount of information on the worst of what we can be. Mm. You know, I think it takes um, a decision to um, to seek out and to be with the best of what we can be because it's out there every day, everywhere I go. I think that's one of the things I love about being a traveling folk singer is that I go all over the country and I see, you know, I'm, it's not like, you know, I'm not Beyonce. I'm not going from arena to arena. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm seeing communities close up, mm-hmm. meeting communities close up. And everywhere I go, everywhere, you know, there are people crossing all kinds of boundary lines for, for things, for love, for family, for the food bank. I mean, people, the best of what we are is out there and happening every day in every community I go to. Not one or some or most. Every single community, people are trying hard to make the world just a little kinder place. Um, we just, it just doesn't get on the front page. Yeah. And for whatever reason, it's considered not the thing that you put through all the news cycles today. Mm-hmm. So I feel very fortunate that I get to go out and see it in person and in all different kinds of ways, like I said, that people are, you know, people are transcending differences mm-hmm. for things they care about and the things that they love. You know, our default, I believe our default is is a certain kind of compassion. Mm. You know, that, um, you know, you walk around, you know, someone will open the door, you you drop something, someone picks it up, mm-hmm. you know. It, it's, I think that's our default. And we're kind of taught to be afraid, be very afraid. Mm-hmm. Um but I don't think that's our default. And I, and I don't believe that we're, we're getting, you know, there's my friend Parker Palmer. He says there's, there's the news without and then there's the news within. Mm. And uh, I believe in keeping myself educated and informed. That's really important to me as, uh, as an artist and as an activist. But I also have to pay really close attention to the news within. Mm. You know, I, if you ask any person, do you know anyone? And is there anyone in your life that is generous of spirit and heart? You know, and most people will say, "Yes, I know a lot of people like that." Do you know anyone in your life who is reaching across some line because they love? And almost everyone will say, "Yeah, mm. I know a lot of people like I'm like that." You know, that's the news within. You know, and it's very important, I think, to balance staying informed staying educated and also paying attention you know, to a deeper happening. Our conversation will return after this brief moment of silence. Please take a breath with us and join us for this 30 seconds of silence.
So all that being said, what would you say is your greatest hope for your work? Wow, it's, you know, music. You know, songwriters send their, their work out into the world and you don't know where it lands. You know, you can only send it out with your best intentions and hope it lands well, you know. So I'm, I'm very grateful that people are very gen people are generous with me. You know, they let me know, oh, it landed well and safely right here in my heart for this situation or that. Um, and so that, that's wonderful. I'm always grateful that people are so generous with me that way. Now, you know, music is, I guess I'm putting it out there too. Um, to contribute something of beauty, you know, something that's, that's authentic, the, the truest expression that I know how to put into the world. Music is ephemeral, you know, I mean, it, it's something, you know, like that, that idea that everything we do has to be for posterity or, you know, for, mm -hmm. you know, it, it, you need to, it needs to be on the Times bestseller. You know, it's like that, that idea, it, music is ephemeral. I mean, think about it. Before there was recorded music, the only place music existed was in the moment it was sung mm. and carried away in the heart of the listener. Maybe they might whistle it on the way home. <laughs> but the only place that it, it existed was in the moment that it was sung and then those last echoes at the end of the last note. You know, and I, I make something really quite... I make air. I make <laughs> something that's only here and gone. Mm. It's kind of an interesting job description, you know? I make air. Mm. But it's kind of potent air. And, it's, and, it's, and it moves through the world in a certain kind of way. You know, hopefully. And uh, so, I, you know, I, I think of... I hope it helps. I hope it heals. I hope it, you know, gives someone a sense of, gosh, she said it. I didn't know how to articulate that yet, and she just said it. Mm -hmm. Or dance, or smile, or rock their baby to sleep. Or People have told me all kinds of fun things. Oh yeah, we used it for the mother-son dance, this song. Or mm. I, I was walking the Muir Trail, and I had it on my iPod, and I listened to it as I went over this hill. I mean, people tell me all kinds of things. Um, but yeah... It's air, but it's really, um, it's air with my best intentions. Mm. And I hope it does something well out there. Yeah, yeah. And, and germinated from, from the silence and from that, that true self that, that you were talking about earlier. And I wonder, have you ever created something that you felt like, oh, this is just for me, or oh, this... This needs to stay with me a while before I give it to the world. Yeah, well, you know, there's a process. You know, it, it, you know, not every song goes out into the world. Sometimes there's a song on the way to the next song that mm. you had to write this song to get to this song. Okay. You yeah. Know? And sometimes there had to be this poem to get to the next poem to get to the next song. So not everything goes out there into the world. Um, you know, so 
You know, so that's an interesting, an interesting question, though. Um, the, but kind of going back to the idea of um, uh, being authentic with it, though. I mean, that that is great. Uh, there's a, a, a songwriter and storyteller and writer um, out in um, Rhode Island. His name is Bill Harley, and he's just a fabulous artist and musician. And... Um, he was telling me a story about a mentor of his. He had a mentor when he was just starting out and said, you don't want to be the best singer-songwriter. And he said, I don't? <laughs> and he said, no, you don't. What you want to be is the only Bill Harley. Mm. And you want to create art that is so completely true to yourself and true to the spirit that is moving through you, that it's the only, you are the only Bill Harley. Mm. And I thought, what a, what great um, advice from a mentor. You know, like, be as true as you can mm-hmm. be in your life and in your work and in your art. You know, that my job is to be, you know, the best Carrie Newcomer I can be. Mm-hmm. And the truest Carrie Newcomer I can be. And that means also mean being very vulnerable at times. Mm-hmm. My new album, The Point of Arrival, is a pretty vulnerable album. Mm-hmm. Here, here's, here's Carrie with all her humanness. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to, be, to be true to you know, all of the human condition. You know, there's something powerful. When you hear a song that's true like that, we know. I mean, we know it when... You hear a song and you think, oh, that's candy coated. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. wow, way mm-hmm. Disney. And it just kind of like flies right by you. Yeah. Or we know when someone is just saying something for shock value and there's mm-hmm. this thing about it. But when someone puts in an artwork and a film and a song and, and a really good podcast, when they, put, <laughs> when they put their finger on the open palm of something true, it shakes the world just a little bit. Mm-hmm the better and you know why would I want to write any other way why would I want to live any other way you know I think about that a lot you know do you ever think about your music as you know everywhere or anytime it's played as as that hand extended blessing people ah what a nice way to put it yeah I I like that yeah that's kind of it is Mm -hmm. yeah yeah, because you're in a way it's it's touching a sense of someone at that time, at that place, probably even somewhere right now, you know. So. Yeah, I hope whoever here that feels that the hand of blessing on them. Yeah. Wherever they're at and whatever they're listening to the music. Yeah, that's a lovely thought. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, I'll take yeah, that thank one you. with me. Good. Good. So before we turn it over to um, invite the. Uh, guys into this conversation I wonder if you wouldn't mind singing us a song I was thinking oh, sure maybe the beautiful not yet and um, could you tell us a little bit about it first uh, the beautiful not yet um, it was written there's this time in the Midwest when it's after the last snow but it's before the first buds have opened you know and a lot of people don't think it's a very pretty time because we're waiting for all that greenness to come Um, But I was walking around on the ridgetop and I realized that the light was coming in in a way that it doesn't happen any other time of the year. Mm. There's no leaves. It's cold and it's clean. And and you could feel it. You could just feel 
that all those seeds beneath the ground that started moving in February, that everything was, you know, just below the surface, the world was almost trembling mm. with beautiful, but not yet. Mm. And so I was thinking about it and thinking how, yes, just because you can't see it yet doesn't mean it isn't happening. Mm. has shown up again and again on our podcast and the idea that that there's a relationship between waiting and attending yes. that the french word for waiting is attendant mm -hmm. and and if you go back to the hebrew there's a hebrew word dumia which means waiting but it also means silence ah. hmm. oh i love so that there's a there's a um there's a verse, I think it's Psalm 62, verse 1, for God alone my soul waits in silence. And that waits in silence in Hebrew is just one word, dumia. Oh. So there's some sort of link there between waiting, between the beautiful not yet, and silence. And I mean by silence something a lot bigger than just the absence of sound. Yes, yes, silence is not just the absence of sound. So I'm just curious, 
you you it sounds like you live either in a forest or adjacent to a forest is that right i kind of live in the middle of, of a forest and yeah. there's a lot of woods around me there's about at least 150 acres around me um a lot of trails and it's 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 lovely out here i'm basically in heaven right now you guys <laughs> <laughs> so how 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 does the song of nature um, partner with you as a songwriter? I'm, I'm curious if there's any kind of conversation there. Well, there's a lot of natural imagery in, in, my, uh, in my work, in my writing. And, you know, people have commented on that before that, um, you know, our, our beloved Mary Oliver, who we mm. recently lost, I call her St. Mary, you know. <laughs> um, uh, she, her poetry has inspired me for years. That idea of speaking to uh, beautiful and deeper things through the imagery of the natural world. Um, you know, it, yeah, the, that feeling of the overlap is, is so present when you're present in the natural world. This idea of, of waiting, too, that's a really powerful idea. I have a song on my new album uh, called Learning to Sit with Not Knowing. <laughs> you know, that started with a poem, uh, but this idea of uncertainty and, un and the unknown and the unknowing and the silence that comes before the first note of the song, you know, that learning to be comfortable with that you know and I, I i think that's i think that's something that that it's not easy for human beings you know we often we want to know what's what's coming or what's um but there are some things that that only happen in time only happen with sitting in that silence waiting yeah. in that silence that will come when it's time for them to come. There's a certain, you know, grace doesn't have a timetable or a clockwork to it. It comes when it comes. Yeah. Carrie, that song, I, I love that song. Thanks for mentioning it. And you may well be aware of this, that there is a, a medieval manuscript called The Cloud of Unknowing. Yes. Yeah. That of course, is a, an invitation into silent prayer, an invitation into contemplation. And so I think there's that, that connecting again, that waiting and that not knowing and silence and prayer, they all seem to kind of live in the same neighborhood. Would you like to hear the poem? I have it with me that started sure. the song. That'd be great. Yeah, that's kind of interesting sometimes where a song started. Um, and, it's, and before the poem, I was doing a lot of waiting. I was doing some sitting in that not knowing and learning to be comfortable uh, with that. Okay, here it is. I'm learning to sit with not knowing. I'm learning to sit with not knowing even when my restless mind begins jumping from a worried what next to a frightened what if to the hard-edged and impatient why aren't you already there? I'm learning to sit and listen to pat myself on the knee, lay my hand on my heart, take another deep breath, laugh at myself, befriend my mistakes, especially the ones that showed me how I most needed to change. I'm learning to sit with whatever comes 
even though I'm a planner, because so much of this life can't be measured or predicted or evenly portioned, because wondering and suffering visit when we least expect and rarely in equal measure. I'm learning to sit with what might I might never know, might never learn, might never heal, with what might waltz in and surprise me, might nudge me into the risky business of growing, might crash into my days with unspeakable sorrow or uncontainable delight. I'm learning to sit with not knowing. Wow. That's beautiful. Thank you. Uh, yeah, thank you. So that's where the song started. That was that poem, and then the, the song grew out of that poem. Okay. I wonder for you, how do you know what ends up as a poem or what ends up as a song, or if one always comes first, or if they take turns for you? Often the poem comes first, but they do take turns. Um, you know, the difference, you know, it's interesting because poetry and lyrics are are. Are different animals. They they share. They have a uh, they share a lot. You know they share rhythm and rhyme and this ability to point farther than what you are actually saying. Mm. There's a lot of things that are um, felt and technical about poetry and lyric writing that overlap. But they're they are different animals. Lyrics are meant to be sung. They they're meant to be uh, totally entwined with music. And that's why I'm a lyric writer, you know, and a, and a songwriter. There's something about that, that format of taking language, which is so powerful, and then taking music that is powerful in another way. The, the language coming in through our heads and then the music coming in through our hearts and our bodies. You know, that in a good song, you know, and, you know that everything that the language is saying is backed up completely by what the music is saying, you know, and everything that the music is saying is backed up completely. They're, they're totally entwined. Um, you know, if the song weeps, then the music weeps, mm. you know, yeah. it's, it's, so it's interesting that when people take lyrics, uh, you know, and just read them as, as poetry, that, for me, it's a little bit like saying, okay, you can read this essay, but now you have to take out all the vowels <laughs> and try to get a sense of, you know, what this, this essay was all about, or maybe take out all the prepositions. You know, it's, they're, they're meant to be entwined. You know, it can work. I, and I've had people read my, my lyric writing as poetry, hmm. but they were meant, it was meant to be with music. And, and that's what I think the main difference between lyric writing and poetry is. Mm -hmm. um, they share a lot, but lyrics were meant to be with music. Mm. Thank you for that. This concludes part one of a two-part episode. Stick with us next week when we hear part two. We are... Encountering Silence. I'm Cassidy Hall. To learn more about me, please visit CassidyHall.com. I'm Kevin Johnson. To find out more about my work, visit my website, KevinMichaelJohnson.com.
I'm Carl McCollman. My website is carlmccollman.com. Please visit the podcast website at encounteringsilence.com. There you can learn more about each of our episodes and find links to purchase books and other resources we discuss on the podcast. By making a purchase through our website, the podcast receives a small affiliate commission from amazon.com. Also, to learn more about how you can be a part of our circle of supporters, visit patreon.com slash encountering silence. This way you can share in our efforts to bring meaningful conversations about silence to our all too noisy world.